This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Our guest today is Lavleen Sidhu, co-founder, president, and chief strategy officer of Bank Mobile, a mobile-first venture and a division of Customers Bank. Uh, Lavleen, thanks for joining us uh, today at Knowledge at Wharton, and welcome back uh, to Wharton. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So many memories come back when I come on campus. So thank you for having me. Excellent. Well, I uh, as you look at the uh, banking and fintech landscape uh, as we approach the end of 2019 and look forward to 2020, uh, I wonder what are some of the most interesting things that you find going on in the fintech space and why do you find them interesting? Yeah. So, I mean, it's amazing to me how much fintech has grown even since we last spoke about three years ago. I just looked at a stat recently where, you know, personal loans, you know, four years ago was probably 5% of the market being done by fintechs. And today over 40, 45% of personal loans, you know, are, are, are originating through through fintechs. And so it's very clear that a shift has taken place and fintechs are gaining more and more momentum. Um and we're seeing a lot of them sort of diversify from sort of one niche. So whether that was, you know, uh, Robinhood with brokerage or SoFi with, you know, student refinance or Square, that was, you know, Square Cash. You know, a lot of these players want to evolve to have multiple touch points with consumers, not just the original niche that they started out with. And so you're seeing the sort of transition to a lot of them applying for bank charters. And so being able to sort of recognize that a multi-product um, offering is probably the most compelling. And so we're seeing a dramatic shift in a lot of challenger banks. You know, the regulatory environment in Europe has been very ripe and very open to disruption and digital banking. And a lot of the players that have been successful there are now moving and entering into the U.S. So we're seeing new competitors entering the space, shaking things up. Um, Monzo, Revolut, uh, Number 26, you know, and then our own players, Barrow and Chime, have sort of grown. And so I think that there's a lot of movement, a lot of potential, a lot of opportunity, and a lot of competition entering the market. Uh, that, that's really interesting. But what do you think is driving this trend towards uh, fintechs, uh, you know, disrupting the traditional banking space so much, especially in areas like lending? Yeah, I think it's it's clear that, you know, the big banks, it's, it's amazing. So, so firstly, about, you know, 0.1% of the top banks have 50% of the assets. And, you know, a lot of the, the growth in the first half of this year, 50% of the growth in deposits, the big banks have been able to garner. So they're doing something right. They have the dollars to invest in technology. Um, and they're improving. And people are seeing that. And they're gaining and continuing to gain market share. But the reality is, is that people are still dissatisfied. Uh, the table stakes of banking are still not being met um, by the traditional banks. Forget about talking about innovation. So you, going back to the basics that I talked about, you know, five years ago when we started Bank Mobile, which is, you know, people aren't being paid on their money. Mm. You know, on average, a checking account provides eight basis points of interest. Mm. You know, today with our T-Mobile account that we've launched, we give 4% interest. Mm. People are paying on average, I just read an article, $10 a month on checking accounts, you know, it's a hundred, close to $120, $130 a year in just checking account fees. That's the national average. ATM fees are still going up. People not having access to, 
you know, ATMs as well. We have 55,000 ATMs. Bank of America, the largest bank, has about 18,000. So it's really about fintechs being able to recognize that consumer pain points are still not being addressed and consumers responding that someone's listening to us, someone's addressing our frustration, someone's making this easier for me, more value-additive to me. And I think that's why fintechs have seen the momentum they're seeing. Oh, that's great. I, I'd like to come back to what you said about bank mobile in a bit, but just to stick for a while on what's happening in the fintechs. If you look forward to 2020, which are the areas that you think are most ripe for rapid growth and, and why? Because fintech um, is such a big area with so 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 many different aspects to it. Yeah. Are there any particular areas that you find especially interesting? Well, I think digital banking for sure, because it's just amazing to me how many fintechs are applying for charters and how many mm. neo digital banks are entering into the U.S. and trying to get partner banks are entering, mm. um, you know, or, or trying to get a charter. And so I think that that continues to be an interesting space. Um, I think that marketplace lenders. A lot of them are struggling. You know, they started off with their model um, and they're having trouble sort of accessing low cost funding, um, being able to have a longer term relationship with their customer more than just that one touch point. And so a lot of them are shifting to lending as a service and trying to help banks and being more of the back end. Or they're going to try to partner with some of these neobanks that exist and consolidating some of their technologies. Um, so I think that we are going to see, you know, interesting things happening in terms of consolidation between fintechs mm-hmm. and, and sort of being able to support more products together and having better customer acquisition together. Um, I think that the buzzwords of sort of AI machine learning, you know, continue to, to be there. And I think it's both on the back end. I think fraud management, cybersecurity continues to be a huge thing mm-hmm. that not just digital banks, all banks will be challenged with and continue to be challenged with and need to stay on top of. And so I think a lot of companies that focus on on that are, are really going to be um, important. Um, and I think, you know, no one's really cracked the code for financial management. Mm-hmm. And being able to use uh, data and machine learning to be able to proactively help people make better decisions in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, many neobanks have tried elements of it, um, but no one has really fully succeeded. And I think that players are going to come out there and really try to solve the problem of helping people make better financial decisions. Right. So as uh, more and more fintechs enter the space that traditional banks have already been active in, uh, and the amount of uh, lending goes up, do you think it adds any additional elements of risk to the system? And if so, how do you think those could be managed? You know, a lot of these fintechs and marketplace lenders haven't gone through a downturn. Mm. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they perform uh, because they sort of profess that their models um you know, are so unique and looking at so many different dimensions that they've diversified and that they are able to sort of sustain themselves within, um, you know, a recessionary period. And, you know, there's indications that, you know, that that time may come. We've been in the longest sort of economic growth span in in a long time. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see how they do perform. And, um, I think that there's going to be in a lot of banks say, hey, FICO is still the best predictor. And so we're going to see in this downturn as well, do those other dimensions of, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning that take in all of these different factors that a lot of these alternative lenders are using, 
are they really paying off or is FICO still going to remain the central point of how we assess riskiness of customers? So I think we're going to learn a lot in the next, uh, you know, two years. Yeah, no, I think you're you're right. So based on everything you said about what's happening overall in the fintech uh, uh, industry, uh, brings me back to, you know, the conversation we had last time about the launch of uh, Bank Mobile in uh, January 2015. Uh you said at the time that uh, the bank had 1.8 million uh, customers and your plan was to have 5 million in about 5 to 7 years. So since your the bank's uh, birthday, fifth birthday is coming up mm-hmm. uh, next January, mm-hmm. I wonder how much progress you've made towards the goal and, and, and how, how, how are things going yeah. on? Yeah. So I think I was here two, three years ago. And so, you know, our model and our goals have not changed. Um, And for us, we're all about how do we acquire customers at high volumes and at low cost. And I think when we spoke to you, you know, our only vertical was in the higher ed space. And we continue to do really well in that space in acquiring about 300,000 new customers a year in the student segment. Uh, We recently launched in April our next white label partner, which is T-Mobile. Hmm. And we launched a product called T-Mobile Money. Hmm. And so it's only been a couple uh, months of existence, but and we haven't publicly disclosed um, because T-Mobile is also a public company and hmm. we, we, we really need to work in partnership together. So we haven't mutually disclosed how well we're doing, but uh, in our opinion, it's the most successful digital bank launch, de novo digital bank launch in history. And so, you know, we're very excited about um, our launch and and our future growth opportunities, and then obviously our pipeline for other white labels beyond T-Mobile, beyond higher ed. We have a very strong pipeline in various different industry verticals that we believe a use case of financial services makes a lot of sense for them. Mm. Um, and so we're excited about who's our next white label, and and our and our goal of you know five million customers over the next five years continues to be the same. So uh, you said this is. Uh, the most successful launch. Uh, and I was wondering, what are some of the factors that go into making it successful? And what could other banks learn from what, what you have been able to accomplish? Well, I think what makes it successful is, you know, the, the growth that we're seeing, the, you know, the conversion that we're seeing to primary banking relationships, the balances mm. we're seeing, the mm. increasing trend we're seeing in point of sale transactions. All of these add up to, you know, what, what our revenue drivers are in the business. And you want that primary banking relationship. So what can others learn? Um, you know, our model is how do you get those in, you know, non-financial services business to be able to offer financial services. Mm-hmm. And we've built the technology platform and the infrastructure to do that. Mm-hmm. And now our goal is let's find brands, mm-hmm. brands that you know, have captive audiences that have millions of customers that already have brand equity and emotional connection with their customers. Mm. And let's find a way to add in financial services as part of that. And when a brand that you already love or you respect or that you transact with daily, you know, adds in a financial services element, you've already built in that emotional connection. And I think that's what helps drive some of the success that we're seeing at T-Mobile and overall in our white label model. Um, one of the things that I've heard you uh, uh, mention in the past is uh, the use of a customer-centric uh, uh, strategy mm-hmm. uh, to build your business. And I was wondering if you could explain how that has played a role in, in, in building Bank Mobile's operations and growth. You're not going to gain customers unless you have a product that 
you know, appeals to or addresses their pain points. And that's really why we came into business. Um, if you look at, you know, the table stakes in banking today, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's not being met. So, you know, I said forget about innovation. So looking at our T-Mobile money account, offering 4% interest on, on balances up to 3000 that's 50 times more than what the average checking account, mm-hmm. you know, is offering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Americans are being charged $130 a year in just checking account fees. So offering a no-fee account is already a huge plus. You know, Americans are being charged $34 billion a year in just overdraft fees. So be able to give them access to free overdraft up to $50 every calendar month is already addressing sort of a pain point. So that's what I mean by customer centric. And then, you know, today in a T-Mobile store, if you're opening a wireless account, you know, we do an eligibility check for a, a bank account. And we know if you're going to pass the onboarding process. And if you're interested in opening an account, you know, the rep can give you a link to open that bank account. And you go through the sign-up process, and it pre-fills a lot of the information for you. So in three clicks, you've opened up an account. And so that's the seamlessness with which you need to create the experience. And in our student business, you know, this might be their first account. Um, you want to be able to reward them, not just for good financial behavior, good academic behavior. And so we've created our passport program mm-hmm. and that rewards them for both of those with discounts, et cetera. So it's really about creating a product that serves the needs of the customer. And that's something we continue to innovate on, evolve and expand upon. So is that what you mean when you refer to uh, what you do as banking as a service or is that does that apply specifically to a, a, a certain aspect of your activities? Well, when we say banking as a service, it's really, you know, using our technology platform to allow others to get into banking. And for us, it allows for a high volume acquisition of customers at very low cost. So a traditional bank might be acquiring them at three to three hundred to five hundred dollars. We're acquiring them at less than ten dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really how we define our banking as a service model. Right. So if you look in higher ed, you know, we solve a pain point for colleges and universities, which is sending payments between themselves and the students, which is billions of dollars a year of, of payment flow. Um, and we interject the bank account in there, and the students have a choice. Do they want to receive any of these payments in the bank account itself? Um, and and so it's really about banking as a service. Do you interject into you know a seamless experience, put the bank account there, and get that high-volume, low-cost acquisition? So you're also... Uh, uh in the banking, a uh, student loan refinance area now. Uh, uh, could you speak a little bit about what's the opportunity you saw there and, and how you addressed it? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, it's uh, we have a customer for life strategy. So mm-hmm. both our products, you know, we, we start in with the checking account, but then we want to be able to grow with the customer. So it's the savings account that we offer. We offer student refinance, personal loans and credit cards right now. Mm-hmm. And we continue to expand, you know, our offering. Um, because that's what how you create a customer for life strategy. Specifically, student refinance is just an obvious place to play. We have, you know, so many students banking with us today. A lot of them have debt. And so being able to provide a product offering for them where they can refinance their debt at a lower rate can make, you know, payments that are more um you know, that are easier for them to make over a fixed period of time. It's just it's a product that's really relevant to a demographic that we serve already. So um uh, clearly, Bank Mobile has come quite a long way in in the five years that uh, you know uh, the institution has existed. Uh, if you think back on those five years, uh, what do you think has been the biggest 
leadership challenge that you have faced? And, and how did you deal with it and what did you learn from it? I think the, the toughest one was we launched as a direct-to-consumer strategy back in 2015. Um, and that was, you know, I, I had a goal that, hey, you know, consumer pain points, there's so many of them, let's address them. Let's create a consumer brand around banking. Maybe people can learn to love their bank. And what I found was that the market just wasn't ready yet for direct-to-consumer. Bank Simple had come out a couple years before us, but other than that, there just wasn't that much momentum around it. People really weren't ready for it. We still grew relatively fast in our first year. We had about 100,000 accounts, um, but they were a small balance accounts, and there was a decent amount of fraud in the accounts. And when we mm. started off in our model, you know, in our vision, we said that we wanted to have a better product than what exists today, more affordable, easier to use, and also a net income and growth model that's equal to, if not better, than traditional banks. And we realized in our first year that with those small balance accounts, with that sort of fraud, we weren't going to get that net income and growth equal to, if not better, than traditional banks. So we had to pivot and we had to figure out. So that was a leadership challenge where it's like, hey, the business model that we started out with is actually not working. Now what do we do? Either you go out of business eventually or you figure out how to pivot. And so that was a turning point for us. Um, and it was really about how do we take this challenge and find an opportunity. And we had a relationship with a company that was in the higher ed space. And that's how the idea came about that, hey, can't we use relationships within higher ed to be a customer acquisition strategy for bank accounts? Okay. And that's how we got started in our B2B2C. Wow. That's, uh, that, that's, that, that's really interesting. So thank you for mm -hmm. explaining that. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that uh, women in banking and fintech face unique challenges compared to men? And uh, what is Bank Mobile doing to help combat these kinds of challenges? It's a good question. Um, you know, it's clearly that women are a minority in this field, but it's amazing to me how many women are actually holding a lot of powerful positions in banking. If you look every year at the most powerful women in banking that American banker puts that on. I was like, I didn't even realize there are so many <laughs> women in C-suites, you know, across all these different banks. So I'm actually excited that there is a lot going on and there's changes taking place. I also feel that, you know, we were a disruptor in this business. Um, we wanted to be a mover and shaker in banking. And one thing about myself is that, you know, just being a young woman, I felt younger when I talked to you three years ago, but hopefully <laughs> I'm still relatively young. Um, and being a minority and being a woman, that it aligns really well with the disruptor model. It's mm. like, you know, she's she's a disruptor. She's paving the way in this space. And I, I almost felt there was a congruency between the business model and what I represented. How, and so how, almost, how so? I'd be very curious to know. Yeah, that. because there aren't that many women in financial services. And mm. so when you have a disruptive company come out and you have someone that doesn't look, feel, and smell mm. like what typically is, mm. there's a congruence there, mm. right? You're mm. you're disrupting what, mm. you know, is typically the leadership in fintech and, tech and financial services as well as the mm. business model that we were putting out. So I just felt like I represented it well, and I, and I liked that, and I thought there was a lot of congruence in that. I think that the challenges continue to exist. The reality is, you know, the amount of women in S&P 500 C-suite is minimal. Um, you know, I think 2% of, of women companies are funded by VCs. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're going to go out and raise capital this year. And it, it's, 
to know those stats, it's kind of, you know, disappointing, but you got to, you know, you have your own practices. I start my day with meditation and chanting and you become strong, you become confident, you become more knowledgeable of the space, you read a lot and you earn your way and you earn your respect and you pave your own own way. And what am I doing for others? Um, I think that the pair, you know, the income gap is very visible. They always say 80 cents to the you know, dollar for the lack of parity between men and women. And, you know, I make sure that our women are paid equally um, and I encourage them to speak up. I promote them. You know, most recently, our product um, head of one of, you know, our products or student products, we promoted her to CMO. So she's now the chief marketing officer. So giving visibility and opportunities for women. Um, in a small way, and then just being outspoken uh, as a representative of Bank Mobile, I, I hope that I can inspire other women to enter this field. And, and what do you think men can do to be more collaborative in, in, in uh, you know, helping deal with these issues? I think that, you know, the same things that I'm doing as a woman, you know, how do we ensure um, the income, you know, gap is is not there and we give fairness to women and and help them speak for themselves because sometimes I think that you know in my own negotiations on salary you know men are much more aggressive mm. and women it's almost like you should be asking for more mm. and mm. and so mentoring and and giving women that voice and encouraging them um, to sort of speak up is, is sort of the same things that they should be doing I, I, I couldn't agree more since we are on the you know the, the brink of your fifth birthday, if you were to think further ahead to where you would like Bank Mobile to be on your 10th birthday, mm. uh, what would you say? Well, we better be at that 5 million mark <laughs> next, time, <laughs> next time I speak to you. And I would love, like, I, I believe in our model. I think there are a lot of non-financial services companies that want to enter financial services, whether that's, you know, Apple and Marcus, whether that's Amazon and someone else, whether that's T-Mobile and us. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, retailers, airlines, gig economy focused companies, so many different verticals where the financial services aspect makes sense in their business model. And I hope that we have many, you know, more white labels to talk about next time uh, we, we visit each other. Great. Well, lovely. And thank you so much for coming back to uh, speak with Knowledge at Wharton. It's been lovely having you here today. I'm excited to be back. Thank you so much. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.